0: Let's pray. Father, we we thank you um, just that we get to study who you are, that we get to know you more. What a blessing it is that you have revealed yourself in your great holiness. You you have revealed aspects of who you are to us. You've revealed it through your son, Jesus Christ, who came to earth to die for us creatures. Um, Lord, your gospel is something that is a A wonderful message it's so wonderful it's hard to fathom at times and so God knowing the reality of that and as we're learning more about the gospel and and even if uh, if it's just a refresher Lord, I pray that you would bless us this morning in this lesson as we kind of peel back the layers of the state of man uh, who you are and uh, this great Redeemer that we have through Jesus Christ so it's through his name We ask for help this morning amen all right again kelly has note sheets back there if you didn't get one so we've been doing our study uh our series the unsaved christian from dean and sarah's book uh the unsaved christian and as many of you have been here week over week no we haven't been going strictly through each chapter of the book in detail we've been going off of concepts that he has there still. Recommend you read the book i 've had a lot of people uh, come up and say, "Man, I read that book couldn 't put it down. already got through it, and it really opened my eyes and, and so if you haven 't read it yet get it it 's a great great book, um, maybe a, one of those that you want to read once a year as a refresher but us we 've been going through in great detail uh, what is a cultural Christian, so we spent a few weeks talking about you know the details of what a cultural Christian is. We've hit on the church's role when it comes to either fostering cultural Christianity or combating it. Uh, that was an interesting few weeks there. And then now what we're going to do is we're going to pivot a little bit here, and I'll explain why. Um, but first, going back to dissecting a cultural Christian, we wanted to know what they believe, right? What do they think of in their mind when they're thinking of Christianity? when they're thinking specifically of themselves being a Christian. What fosters this belief that they're thinking of? And we've established that through looking at, well, here's what they think, right? We've established that, well, this isn't really Christianity at all. And that's a bold claim because we think, well, the cultural Christian, though, they think of things like works, right? We talked about that, I think, our first or second week. Right. Namely, I grew up in the church, so I'm a Christian. Right. Um, I go to church every now and then I have a church that I'm a member of. We talked about membership one week. Right. What that could mean. Um, I've said a prayer. Maybe some of these folks have signed a card or, or, you know, went up on an altar call and were told that very day that, hey, you're you're a believer now you're in. They were maybe baptized at a young age. They give money. Their dad was a pastor, generational Christianity, right? My whole family, we've been Christians for generations over generations. Then we talked about the fact that they look at morality, right? I'm a good person. We hit on that almost every week because this is huge. Because of this point especially, right? (laughs) I'm a good person, but more specifically, I'm better than that person or I'm better than my neighbor, or I'm better than my brother, or so on and so forth, right? I'm better than most. I hate evil. I see what's going on in the world, you know, the injustice, and I disagree with it, and I hate it. So I have good morals that way. Good, good Morals that are good enough, I should, I should clarify, morals that are good enough to be a Christian. And then we talk about civic religion, right? I believe in God. Um, I'm conservative in my values. I vote conservative and I'm an American. So, of course, I'm a Christian. Right. So things can get pretty messy when we talk about all this when it's under the umbrella of Christianity. Right. Why do you think this is so? How does this get messy? Say you're sitting down with someone who you work with. You guys have traveled together many times. You see what they do. They go out. They get hammered every night. You see the way they talk, what comes out of their mouth. You're in conversation, and they're like, well, I'm a Christian, too. How does this get messy? Hmm? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yep, no fruit. It's hard to really, it's hard to articulate then like the differences because um for them they're seeing you
1: what's know, on the board as as their help you know what's making them Yeah. And if you don't want to offend them by saying, you know, well if you don't, you don't live like you are, you can do the things. Um uh, you do
0: want to challenge them. Yeah, that's exactly right, Dave. And and I think that's where this does start to get messy for us. Right? Is, what do I do with this? Should I engage? If I engage, is that judging? Is it my place? Right? We, we commonly say, well, only God knows the heart. And that's true. We don't know if someone's saved. If I say, well, someone said a prayer and they think they were saved, immediately you could think, well, that's a little harsh because what if they did get saved? And they may have. I don't know. And, Even in a truly regenerate person that has had fruit for years, we know can backslide. And then we can look at that and be confused. So when it comes to cultural Christianity, it gets messy because we don't know how to engage with it, what to do with it. There's two people who are saying the same word, thinking they're the same thing, but it means something very different to each person, right? So that's just a messy thing. And this is why it's imperative that churches and us have a clear gospel presentation that the gospel's front and center is a clear message to them. All right. So on this, you're talking to two di- two different people are having a conversation, right? And it's messy because they're thinking those three those three items I showed you up there morality, works, civic religion. They're thinking, okay, I do these things therefore I'm a Christian you're there you have a clear understanding of the gospel it almost makes you wonder well what is the good news to a cultural Christian then right we know what the good news is what is the good news to a cultural Christian because isn't that the powerhouse of of the gospel message of what saves so we went through and we we, we thought well maybe a cultural Christian thinks the good news is they go to heaven remember we talked about that that one week where it's not necessarily about Christ It's not necessarily being with Christ it's about getting into heaven and avoiding hell so that's the good news the good news is is I don't have to suffer in hell maybe the good news is Jesus loves me that's good to know maybe it's there'll be blessing in my life if I become a Christian then I have a higher being a deity that's going to bless me in ways that I can't be blessed by man here a divine helper i have someone i can pray to when i'm sad or, or lonely right or maybe the good news is just joy and happiness being a christian will make you happy in life so is this really what the good news is yeah Yeah. Right. Right. These are these are things that uh, that could very much be part of the good news. But what is the good news summed up as we see in the scriptures? What are some other elements that are missing? Do you think? Maybe one sentence. What's one sentence you can think of when it comes to good news? When you think of what is the good news, as I see in the Bible. Who's it point to? Yeah. The good news is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Right? So, a believer is thinking this. When they think about their salvation, when they think about Christianity, this is what should be at the top of our mind. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, if the good news is these things that are about you, if it's works, morality, civic religion is that the gospel of jesus christ is that the gospel no so it would be considered a different gospel as we hear about in scriptures right so therefore it's a different religion and we've brought this up before that cultural christianity is an entire religion in of itself and that is a hard thing to grasp and it's a hard thing to hear because it sounds really really rigid like whoa you're saying It's, you know, they might as well be Muslim or Mormon. It's a whole different religion. And it is, because the Bible tells us that anything outside of the true gospel is no gospel at all, right? This means, then, that cultural Christians need to be evangelized. We must engage with them from an evangelistic perspective. And we talked about this a couple months ago, that cultural Christianity is the largest mission field that we have here in America. It's the largest mission field that we have in Spokane Valley. It's interesting when you think about that. So, with all this recap, and what I want to do then is then shift the focus of the next few weeks to do two things. A, I want to identify what is a false gospel, right? And then B, to talk about how we can evangelize cultural Christians through an understanding of the true gospel. Now, when you go through like a new members class here, we we talk about what the gospel is. There's many ways you can break down the gospel. Uh, I believe in our new members class, it's like the five fingers. It's five five easy points, and that's great, and that's right. But what I wanted to do was go just a little bit deeper and and pull back some, some specific layers of the gospel, a refresher, if you will. That's not just talking about, okay, man, sinned. Man needs a redeemer. Jesus came, redeem them. Now, anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. That's the gospel. That is truth. But I want to go in a bit more detail because I think this will help us as a refresher, but it will help us in conversations. You remember that one week we talked about finding a common ground when we're having conversations with people who we may think is a cultural Christian. We want to find that one starting place. And I think by dissecting this gospel, um, it'll give us that starting place. So, again, recap Christians thinking about the gospel, cultural Christian, they're thinking about works, morality, civic religion. These are not the same thing. It is not the same gospel they believe in. And therefore, then there's a gospel disconnect, right? And that's the focus gospel disconnect. The problem isn't that they need to go to church more. We talked about that one week too, right? The answer in a conversation with a cultural Christian isn't, well, I just need to get them going to church more. We joked about how that. That one pastor uh, said that on an Easter service of, hey, you know, kind of slammed them a little bit like, hey, it's nice to see you. We'll see you again on Christmas. We don't want them thinking that of, well, I just need to go to church more. Why? Yeah, you're feeding them just more stuff that they believe in already works. Man, okay, well, if I go to church three times a month, then I'll be for sure a Christian or a better Christian. So I want to dissect the gospel down into... and darn it, I didn't bring my books. I'll bring them next week. Uh, Paul Washer has a set of three books called The Gospel. Um, I'm kind of riffing off these three books. I highly recommend get them. We don't have any right now at the bookstore. Hopefully we'll have some soon. He does a fantastic job of breaking the gospel down into three big chunks. The gospel's power and message. uh, The gospel's calling and conversion. And then the gospel assurance and warnings. And this helps because we need to look at these In three different areas because there's there's so much there right and it helps us to think in phases right what is the gospel why is it powerful what is the message of the gospel how does it then work according to the scriptures what does the gospel do to people and then what is the assurance we have in the gospel and you know one common thing we say at GCF a lot is that the gospel is not the ABCs of the Christian faith it's the A to Z right the gospel is not what gets you saved and then you're good to go and you you just grow as a Christian. The gospel is something we need every single day uh, until we die. So this is how we're going to dissect it. And we're going to go through this in two parts. I, <laughs> I was building this out. I'm like, this is way too much to try to cram into one session. So this will be part one this morning. We'll get through the, the bad news mostly. And then next week we'll get to the, to the good news of it as well. But I hope that this will be a good reminder for you, a good refresher. So let's jump in. All right, so first, the gospel is scandalous. Paul Washer says, Although the gospel is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, it is nevertheless a scandalous and unbelievable message to a fallen world. This is an interesting thing to think about. Again, coming into looking at this in this, this light, it can seem a bit rough of like, well, what do you mean it's, it's an unbelievable message? Like, why are you calling the gospel scandalous? That seems the gospel's for everybody. Like, you hear it going out all the time in church services, you know, throughout our country. How is it scandalous? Well, the definition of scandalous is it, uh, causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. Scandalous, causing general public outrage by a perceived offense against morality or law. Let's look at 1 Corinthians chapter 1 in your Bibles here. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we're going to do verse 20 through 25. This is where we're pulling out this idea. first okay, 1 Corinthians 1 20 through 25 where's the one who is wise where's the scribe where's the debater of this age has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world for since in the wisdom of God the world did not know God through wisdom it pleased God through the folly of what we preach to save those who believe for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom but we preach Christ crucified A stumbling block to Jews, and folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. So let's interact with this a bit. Why is the gospel considered to be scandalous to both the Jew and the Greek here? Any thoughts? Why is the gospel considered to be scandalous to the Jew and to the Greek? This verse says that that it's a stumbling block for the Jews and it's folly to the Greek. Yeah. Yeah, because it doesn't do what they both expect. Any idea on what those expectations are for both? Yeah. Gunner.
1: <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well I know that like in, in the what it was coming into the what, what Paul's here is the fact that this was very much kind of the origins of like the idea of human, the idea that eventually came became humanism. Simply we can understand things. As human beings we can philosophize, we can have it. so that's what I you know, was referencing there is this idea that you can comprehend it. And so there's one facet I think that he's talking about there is this idea that if you try to grapple with this purely in your mind, it will not make sense. So I think that's one
0: thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. Absolutely. It's trying to comprehend spiritual things requires spiritual discernment, right? Bob Okay. Mhm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. The the Jews built a system off of works, ranking each other. Right. They works fueled their their religion and their belief. And Christ disrupted that mentality, right? What, were, what was the Jews' problem with Christ? Why was he crucified? That's not a simple answer. There's multiple answers, but what I'm getting at here is why was Jesus Christ, the Messiah, a stumbling block to the Jews? Blasphemy, yeah. Yeah. Yep. They told Jesus that he was a blasphemer, right? Several times. He was committing blasphemy because the idea that a Messiah was to come and be crucified was insane. So the Jews are looking at this like, well, that's not my Messiah hanging on the cross, dead. Right? That's not my Messiah. I refuse to believe. It's it's stupid, for lack of better terms, the gospel message to, to the Jews, right? It doesn't make any sense. What about the Greeks? The Gentiles? Any, any thoughts there of why the gospel message would be folly to them? What's that? Okay, Jesus made it simple. wisdom yeah that's a good one jack true you had something oh russ sorry russ yeah too simple and you know there's multiple gods multiple deities in their view of how life operated right multiple gods so the idea of one and not only one but the god of the the israelites the god of israel is their god think about how just dumb that sounds to them so you're going to to them and you're saying well hey no this is actually your god too and their whole life they've been brought up to believe and they've seen it not these aren't just campfire stories they've seen the israelites you know god that they worship and now they're like, that's, that's my God? That's supposed to be my God now and only one? It just doesn't make sense. It's silly. It's almost like when we were talking about the resurrection of the account of females being the first to witness Christ out of the, the tomb. And, and, and why, why would someone write that into the story? Because there's no credibility there. That's foolishness. It's kind of along the same line. So how would the gospel then be considered scandalous in our Western society today then? Absolutely. Bob? There's only, one way. There's only one way. Yeah. That's not a good message today that people like to hear. Kevin? Um,
1: especially the last 10 years, I it's been like this for a long time because it's grown. We want to seek within ourselves to make our best selves because we can make our best selves from humans by our gospel, that denies us.
0: That's contrary. Yeah. Yeah, there's a big emphasis today in our society on ourselves, right? Self-worship, self, self-everything. There's a few hands went up over there. Yes, Lizzie. Yeah. Objective truth. Yeah, and that's one of the ones I had here of the, the majority of isms, as they're called, right, in our culture today. Relativism, right? There's no absolutes. We live in an age of relativism there is no absolute truth we live in an age of pluralism pluralism says that everything is true right your truth is your truth my truth is my truth the gospel message in light of that is folly right it's scandalous and then humanism humanism is huge elevation of man as prime importance with, with deity kind of pushed aside or just not believing in a deity at all, right? It's the here and now. It's what's in front of us. It's the things that are tangible that I'm going to worship and believe in. And that is us. So if we want to, you know, help our planet, then we got to do it. If we want to help social injustice, then we got to come together and do it. Everything that we want to induce change on is up to us. If I want to become a better father, then I need to pull myself up by my own bootstraps and I need to do it. It completely removes the deity out of the equation the gospel doesn't really sit well with that type of mentality so look at this quote from Washer here it says it may be difficult for the contemporary Christian to comprehend but the Christians living in the first few centuries of the faith were actually marked and persecuted as atheists did you know that when Christianity started to bloom they were known as atheists that's an interesting thought the culture surrounding them was immersed in theism Images of deities filled the world, and religion was a booming business. Men not only tolerated one another's deities, but also swapped and shared them. The entire religious world was going along just fine until the Christians showed up and declared, they are not gods which are made with hands. Interesting thought, right? So you have all these religions, all these gods, people swapping, talking about them, mingling and then the Christian comes along and says, those are false gods. That's false worship. You need to worship the one true God. A little disruptive, right? Do you feel like we have these same same uh, feelings and point, points of view today in our culture? Coexist, right? And Christianity is usually looked at as the one that doesn't want to play well with all the others, and there's a reason for that. Why is there a reason for that? Because, <laughs> yeah. Exactly. doesn't matter which God it is. Multiple gods will get you there. Or multiple views of who Jesus is. So the summary here on the gospel scandalous. Uh, I put the summaries, by the way. I thought this would, I'm hoping it will be helpful for you. Um, each point we talk about, will have a summary at the end. of Like, this is the big idea. Summary here is the gospel is an unbelievable message that would never have made it out of Jerusalem had it not been for the power of God. Have you ever thought about that? Here we are in Spokane Valley in 2024, singing songs about the gospel, preaching the gospel message. That is incredible. How in the world did the gospel get out of Jerusalem in the first place? This was a new message, right? This was not, this was a whole new message. It was looked at as a new religion, kind of starting up a a Kickstarter religion (laughs) in light of all these other religions that have existed for ages and yet it took off got through the walls in jerusalem and then it's now here in america in 2024 that's pretty incredible he goes on to say we should not expect anyone today to want to hear it let alone embrace it apart from god's grace and power so the gospel is scandalous this is a good reminder for us this morning all right next point the gospel is powerful Romans 1 16 for I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also the Greek so this very verse of Romans 1 16 talking about the gospel is the power unto salvation this is a great verse to affirm our first point that we just talked about that the gospel is scandalous right why does Paul have to boldly proclaim that I'm not ashamed of it? What are your thoughts there? Do you, do you ever find that that kind of is a weird thing that sticks out about Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of it? Why would he have to say that? Yeah. Because, yeah. And he knows what he's saying is is going to be rough. Yeah. Yeah, Kev. What was that? He was the Pharisee of
1: Pharisees.
0: (laughs) Yeah. 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 And I think this is, as I was preparing this lesson, this, this point of the gospel is powerful, really hit me. As a good reminder of, like man I have lost sight of this because think about what first comes to your mind when you think the gospel is powerful you know it probably isn't as deep as this it's probably like well yeah no it, it saves the gospel is what, what what saves people it's what preserves us it's what rebukes us and builds us up and these are all true and these are all good things but think about it in the context of Paul and his day of being like no I need the gospel because this word power by the way the Greek in that is the same word used in dynamite so Paul's saying the gospel is literally power, but we need it to be powerful. And I think that's where, that's where the rub is here. We need it to be powerful. On this point, Washer says, with regard to the gospel, it's helpful to ask ourselves two questions. Do we recognize the great power required to save sinful men? It's an interesting question. Do we, do you? Do you recognize the great power that it takes to save a sinful man? Admittedly, this is not something I think about a lot as a saved person myself. But do you realize what it takes to save a sinful man? Number two, do we recognize that the power to save is found uniquely in the gospel? So, two big, very, two very big challenging things here is one, do we recognize what it actually takes to break through the corruptness of sinful man? And two, do you realize that it's only the gospel? that can do that yeah by preaching the gospel right so let's start with this first question why is great power required in order to save sinful men thoughts on that what do you mean we're dead Yeah, we're spiritually. We we can't discern things spiritually, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I have a, you know, there's there's someone. Um, A friend Kelly and I have, and we're like, there's no way she would ever, ever want to live like we do when we look at it in terms of that. And what I mean by that is like, you know, live for God, go to church, have a church community. Even culturally, there's things that she just doesn't fit in well with. And I'm like, that, let alone becoming a Christian, is impossible. There's no way I could convince her ever to do that. And then that's when I go to this point. I think about, but I'm not the one that does that. Praise God. It's the gospel message, right? It's interesting to think when you, remember, when you remind yourselves of what it takes to save sinful man. What about the second question? Why is the power then only found in the gospel? Just thoughts there. yep keeps our, out of it. keeps our arrogance out of it what do you mean yeah yeah mm-hmm. absolutely we know it's outside of us okay so two very important points i would dare say of, of all the, the the points we're going over today i mean there's a lot of important ones This one impacted me the most. Take this one away with you, these two questions. Do you recognize what it takes to break someone free of their sin? And do you realize the power of the gospel that it can uniquely do it? Only the gospel can do it. So the summary here is the immeasurable power of God manifests itself in the gospel. Nothing less than the gospel can bring a man to repentance in faith. Nothing less than the gospel can transform a man From sinner to saint. Nothing less than the gospel can bring many sons home to glory. Amen and amen. All right, next we see that the gospel is a message for all. Point C, gospel is a message for all. Still on Romans one sixteen here. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. So, this gospel call is a universal call to everybody, right? That Christ has shed his blood to redeem a people from every tribe and nation, right? That's what it tells us in Revelation. John tells us in John 3 16, right? That God so loved the world, not just the Jews. That would have been a very different verse if Nicodemus, or Nicodemus in his conversation with Jesus, is kind of moving along and Jesus says yeah God so loved the Jews that he gave his only son for them obviously and Nicodemus would have said spot-on it's exactly what I think and what right. I've what we've been teaching first John 2 2 Jesus is the Savior of the world Paul says that Jesus gave himself as a ransom for all first Timothy 2 6 for all people So the gospel is not only a message for all, but should be the same message for all. Its message should never be reshaped or communicated differently in an attempt to make it relatable to different cultures or ever-changing trends. Now, where's the danger of this, this point here of saying that Jesus died for everybody? Oh boy! <laughs> not what I was thinking, but yes. Yeah. Right, and and the opposite of that though would be well, Jesus. It's universalism, right? Jesus died for everybody. Therefore, everybody is safe. So that's not what this point is when we say that the gospel is a message for all. Well, That's actually worded very well that way, so we can avoid that. But yeah, the gospel is a message for all, but it's for those who believe. And that's where the universalists get off track right away. You can read these verses in the Bible and go, oh, praise God. Jesus is the savior of the world. He died. So it's all done. He said it is finished, so therefore he saved the whole world. And that's not what the Bible teaches. Just wanted to highlight that point there. But the gospel message is surely a message for everybody. All right next now we're on to the second part here the gospel is a message about about what about God the gospel is a message about God so these next few points we're going to talk about what this message is about Psalm 96 if you want to turn quickly to there uh, I'm gonna read verses 4 through 10 psalm 96 all right psalm 96 4 through 10. for great is the lord and greatly to be praised he is to be feared above all gods for all the gods of the peoples are worthless idols but the lord made the heavens Splendor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. So, what does the gospel tell us about God? He's overall. Yeah. Absolutely. What else? Save to What's that? Saved to worship. Yeah. So he must be worshipped. We, we should fear him. Why should we fear him? Yeah. Giver and taker of life. He's holy yeah it's probably a, a good point to hit on when you're talking about the gospel with someone, right? <laughs> God's holiness. what else does the gospel tell us about God? Yeah, it's a big one. He cares about his name and his glory He loves, yeah. was God created so what does that tell us about God the correct answer was no yes God was not created He's eternal. He's eternal yeah there's some major implications to that right any other things come to mind? He has the right to judge yeah that's a big one right when we're talking to this individualistic society that we're in it's like well who are you to judge me right i mean that's we get offended very easily when someone's even just one-on-one someone's questioning something we're doing let alone you're telling me that there's this god who's not happy about you know me living and sleeping with my girlfriend like that's not his business but it is, yeah, Gunner. Just on that line, the
1: idea, of knowing uh, is right to but The idea that he's literally the source of the concept of justice itself. Like, because we all have some concept; it's tainted. It's a human tainting of our concept of justice. But we all understand that he's a right and wrong. We all mm-hmm. really need know that. And the idea is that this God is like, it's like well, He's the foundation. He's why you even have any concept
0: right yeah i like how you said that i like foundation that's a great word to describe the god of our gospel here the foundation he's alpha omega right beginning and end and he created everything um so lots of points you can go over about this point here but i love how this starts with the gospel message is about god it's not about us it's about god summary god is impeccable and pure he is light And in him, there is no darkness at all. He is the father of lights with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. He cannot be tempted by evil and he does not tempt with evil. His eyes are too pure to approve it and he cannot look on it with favor. All sin is an abomination to him. A loathsome thing that evokes hatred and disgust. Everyone who acts unjustly is an abomination before his throne. And his face is set against all who do iniquity. Is this an easy message to hear? Will this make someone when you're having coffee with them go, Oh, tell me more about this gospel? This is this is good news. You said good news, but now I see why. This is good. Yeah, I'm an abomination to God. That's fantastic. It's crazy, right? But God's holiness, it must start with God. It has to start with God. Even for us Christians. We have to realize when we sin, when we sin today, who we're sinning against and what that means. And then, and then that then goes to like the preciousness of the cross, right? This free gift of grace. Jesus, thank you for dying for me because this sin I just committed today, I'm not going to hell for because I just sinned against the Holy God because you paid that price, right? It, it changes everything when you have a right perspective of who God is and that it starts with him. This then leads to, of course... Our next point here, a gospel message is about sin. Must talk about sin. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. This Greek word for fall short essentially means to miss the mark. Right? All have missed the mark or wander from the path. Sometimes sin, we need to use that word. Absolutely. It needs to be defined. But I think to the outside world, sin can be looked at as like, I just did a wrong thing. A boo-boo or whatever, right? And I like how this goes to missed the mark, which means it's non-recoverable. You fell off. You ain't getting back on, right? You missed it. Too late. You've wandered from the path. So what does the gospel tell us about sin? Bob. Yeah, it requires death. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, Kev. So it's in us. Mm -hmm. We don't just sin, but we are sin. By nature. Yeah. What else? stuck in it mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. what about if what about if someone says well yeah i sinned today for sure but tomorrow's a new day and hopefully i won't sin tomorrow and if i don't and i end up dying then i'll be good because i didn't sin that day All Right? does that tell us about sin our view of sin Requires repentance. We don't get who God is, yeah.
1: He is yeah, with perfectionism have anything to do with our twenty four hour day
0: of freedom for a sin that we know is, not alone the
1: one sin takes an eternity
0: to One sin takes an eternity to pay for. yeah exactly and that's why i like this miss the mark kind of terminology right you missed the mark yesterday you missed the mark the last 30 years of your life you're still missing the mark you're off the path right sin stacks up it requires death who's paying for that you know these are all great questions all great things to talk about and The Bible has much to say about sin Um, I separated this into two more kind of subtopics of sin and that's where we'll end this morning Um, the summary though here on sin says we must understand that forthright teaching on sin is an essential part of the gospel of Jesus Christ men must understand what they are and what they have done men must understand what they are and what they have done although such truths are scandalous and even painful they are biblical and necessary we rarely use the word sin in our contemporary culture it is not because it has been replaced by one that is more appropriate but because the idea itself has been lost it's an interesting quote so subtopic of sin next the gospel is a message about sin but it's about a holy war i love this terminology this is not a way i would typically put it but it makes a lot of sense when you start breaking this down. Um, Isaiah 63, I'll just read through this Isaiah 63, 8 through 10, and then uh, Nahum 1 2. We'll start in Isaiah 63. For he said, Surely they are my people, children who will not deal falsely, and he became their savior. But they rebelled and grieved his Holy Spirit. Therefore he turned to be their enemy and himself fought against them. Talking about God and the Israelites. Naam 1 two: The Lord is a jealous and avenging God. The Lord is avenging and wrathful. The Lord takes vengeance on His adversaries and keeps wrath for His enemies. So what does the gospel then tell us of how God views sin? Yeah, we're an enemy to God. And his wrath will be on you. Yeah. Yeah. Now, if, if you're being honest with yourself, and I mean, I, I can honestly answer this. If you're finally having that discussion with someone that you've been waiting to have this discussion for for a very long time. Do you really want to tell them that this God that you're, you know, that you want them to follow that that? Their enemies does that come across good no you know and yes gonna get into the gospel the full this is why the full gospel is important God is love and he does love us but it must start with this truth of not only are we sin, or not only do we sin but we're sinners as Kevin was saying how does God view this? Is he like, oh, that Dave, he's silly. He'll, he'll get it one day, or that's okay. Absolutely not. God hates sin. So much that his wrath burns hot against sin. So much that the creature who sins against him because, becomes his enemy. You know, in that song we sing, once your enemy now seated at your table, Jesus, thank you. How Wonderful does that make the cross in light of that truth, right? When we talk about the black, painting the, the black veil first so that people can see the preciousness of Christ, I think this is one of those truths that must be said, that must be known. God does not and cannot tolerate your sin. Any other thoughts on this? All right. summary on this point the scriptures warn us that the wrath of god is coming upon the sons of men and admonishes us to prepare to meet our god sinful men should consider these truths with fear and trembling but first preachers must make these truths known with a clarion call it is our responsibility to warn men of the certainty of the wrath to come this must be part of the gospel message in that illustration I had up here earlier, you know, where the cultural Christians thinking of like heaven and blessing and I have a divine helper in none of that. And that's the problem, right? In none of that is this fear of who God is and the fear of that the very sins that they commit every single day, what that really means. That they're storing up wrath for themselves every single time. All right. Second subtopic on sin is that it is a barrier. The gospel is a message about sin. That is a barrier. What sort of barrier does the sin of man create? What, what anything come to mind when we talk about a barrier?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Like a distance. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad you started with that physical distance right we hear that often in the gospel message that man has been separated from god and that's very true but there's other barriers that are that are innate that are inside of us what i'm thinking of is total depravity Right? what is total depravity nothing good or redeeming inside of us Mm -hmm. yeah man is depraved totally in totality we have a, a quote here that helps it says to be depraved means that something's original state or form has been thoroughly perverted to say that the human race is depraved means that it has fallen from its original state of righteousness and that all men are born as morally corrupt sinners by nature this is a huge point to hit on when presenting the gospel message right that whole thing we talked about earlier, you're not a sinner because you sin you sin because you're a sinner it's inside of you you can't escape it so not only did sin create a barrier physically between you and god but it puts something inside of you that makes it impossible impossible to want anything of righteousness uh, spiritual death is another one spiritual so total depravity spiritual death is a bit bit different than total depravity this this is uh means that you're operating only by the flesh right you have there's nothing spiritual even people that aren't Christians it is very very common in our society to to believe in spirituality right things outside of us there's some kind of spiritual power out there so people pray people chant all kinds of things the spiritual world is is of much interest to us well what this tells us is that we are dead spiritually so when you pray and you're dead spiritually, you're praying to nothing. You can't. You're flesh, you're one hundred percent flesh. Carnal flesh. Nothing is alive in you spiritually. You can't discern. First uh, Corinthians two, ten through fourteen says these things God has revealed to us through the Spirit, for the Spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thought except the spirit of that person which is in him? so also no one comprehends the thoughts of god except the spirit of god now we have received not the spirit of the world but we've received the spirit who is from god that we might understand the things freely given to us by god and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom but taught by the spirit interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual here's the kicker i didn't put this verse in your notes, this is one um, I was just reading along with Kel in one of our morning devotions, and I was like, man, this is spot on to this point. Verse 14, 1 Corinthians 2 14. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. He is not able to understand them because he is spiritually discerned. You cannot understand spiritual things of God. When you are just flesh right and that's what humanity is from birth there's no spirit in you whatsoever you are flesh so total depravity spiritual death and then moral inability this then means the implications of all this is that one we cannot know god two we cannot love god we cannot seek god we cannot obey or please god we cannot reform ourselves and we are a slave to satan i put all these uh these scriptures here please look these over sometime this week these are very very big truth with major implications uh, if, if you want something to study this week just for devotion time go through this this list and read these verses but this is a truth that is very very important to share when sharing the gospel message is that man not only sins Right? But there's a holy war going on. Your sin means something to God. It means that you're his enemy. He hates sin. It, it, it deserves his wrath. And also, sin is inside of you and it creates a barrier between you and God. Not just a physical barrier, which it does, but a barrier even with your heart. You have a heart problem. Right? And as a result, man cannot know God on their own. They cannot love God. They cannot seek God. They cannot obey or please God. They can't reform themselves, and they are children of the devil, as the scriptures say. You're doing your father's will. You're doing Satan's will out in the world, which is carnality, which is depravity. It's language, pornography. It's hatred. It's evil. It's malice. It's lying. All of that is emulating your father, the devil. So summary, man's sin not only distances them from God, but it creates in them a heart that wants nothing to do with God. This is argued up and down, left and right, but it is the truth. Man wants nothing to do with God from birth as a creature with a heart of flesh. You're running the opposite direction. You want to live life the way you want to because you're the king. Man has only one hope, but before he can see it, he must be convinced of his utter inability and brought to the very end of himself. This is one of the essential works of gospel preaching. Okay, next week, we're going to finish this bottom half of this cool little think cloud. The gospel is a message about Jesus Christ. We'll get into the good news next week, and we'll kind of look at all of this holistically. I know this is a lot, I'm very thankful I did not try to do this all in one morning. Um, But chew on this, and then uh, we're going to bring it up again next week and talk about it more, okay? Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for Jesus. Um, I just thank you that He gets bigger and bigger and bigger as we realize these truths this morning. Will you help us to discern these truths? Oh God, strip us of our pride. Lord, strip us of anything that wants. Anything to do with our salvation that that we accomplished or any attribute we had that you just saw as super special, God, just strip us of all these things. Help us to cling to Christ and his works and his morality and his righteousness. Lord, as we worship this morning, I just pray that you would make it even sweeter being reminded of these truths here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.